podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And we often have guests joining us, but today it's just Dominique and I wanted to have some time together to just talk and share. And the topic that I thought would be really interesting, especially since we just had that wonderful conversation with my vet of 30 years, Dr. Steve Mayo. And I, I must say, I enjoyed that conversation immensely. But the topic that I thought would be really interesting is how some of our ideas about how we personally manage care for our horses has changed, evolved, adjusted over the years. And I thought it would be particularly interesting to have that conversation with you, Dominique, because you've been in that uh, really unique position of overseeing the, the horses in the Cavalia program and in the retirement program. And so there's a big difference between managing your own personal small herd of you know, three, four, six horses at home. There's a big difference between managing and the choices you make when it's your horse in a boarding establishment. And it's another thing, again, when it's 50, 60 or more horses that you're having to keep track of. It's also different if it's a working horse and a retired horse, and even for people who just ride their horse, I mean, yeah. uh, it's different when you're when you ride your horse. And when your horse is at a point in its life where you're not riding them anymore, and I think there's a difference in the way you keep the horse, because in one case, especially if you're in a country uh, where there is winter, like yes. us, like you and yes. I, we have winter, and so the horses grow big coats. And if you leave them outside, and so if you're riding your horse, it's not the same as if your horse you know, my horses at this point in their lives, they're older horses and I don't ride them anymore. And I do a lot of liberty with them, but they never get in a big sweat from our training sessions. And so I can leave my horses outside much more than people, I think, who ride and where their horse gets wet. It takes uh, four hours to dry them. And then if they want to put them back outside, they have to make sure that the horse is dry. Um, so that can be a challenge anyway, if, if you want to maximize the time outside. So there, all this to say that, you know, it, it, there's, I'm sure that a lot of what we're going to discuss uh, will depend on your context, you know, whether where you live, what kind of climate, what you do with your horses, how many of horses you have. So, I mean, we can talk about our own experience with our own horse, but people have to take this with, you know, some discernment. Is that certain, a word in yes, English? Yes. 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 Um, and and think about you know what context we're in versus what context they're in. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I know. I know one one thing for me that has changed a lot. I would say is is um, whether I keep my horses inside or not. Um, and I think I've gone full circle on this because I remember at the very beginning of Cavalia, you know, I was new to the horse world, as you know, and I heard a lot of people say, 
well, horses should be left outside. You know, if, if you're not, and we were important, importing horses pretty young. Uh, and so they wouldn't work for a few years. They had to continue to develop. And so those horses were not being uh, trained at all. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try it out and leave them outside. And I had these, you know, Lusitano horses, some of them coming from the south of France. Of France. They had never had a winter. Their parents never had a winter in their lives, like the kind of winter we have in Quebec. And, and I had lots of space inside. I mean, I had three barns. I had like, I could have had 150 horses inside. So it wasn't a matter of lacking the space to, to have them come inside. But in the beginning, I thought, oh, it's good for a horse to be outside. And I had these beautiful paddocks. And I remember the first winter with these little young horses in February, you know, and it's like four o'clock and it's already dark and yeah. it's going, there's going to be, well, usually when there's a snowstorm, it's not too cold, but after the snowstorm, you know, yeah. it can become really cold. Who I did not like that. And the horses, they, it took them a couple of years before they made some really nice coats that was well adapted to the winter. And so in the beginning, after that, you know, and, and I had some discussions with my vet where she said, well, you know, some people, they keep their horses outside in Quebec and they call me in the morning and there's the tip of the ear is frozen and we have to cut it out because it's necrosy, necrosed, is that a word? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah so frostbite. Frostbite, yes. Yeah. And so... After that, uh, for many years, whether the horses were uh, retired or young and not being, because the retired horses arrived later, of course, because in the beginning, the horses we had were either young horses, not yet worked because they weren't fully developed and we, will, we would wait quite a few years before we started working them, or we had working horses. But um, so I would always want to maximize the time spent outside. And I would say that in many cases, I would aim to have them outside at least, you know, five, six hours in the bad time, in the, unless it was really, really cold. And even then they would go out. I had two arenas, so they would go out in the arena to really run a little bit. But sometimes the footing in Quebec can be very icy and dangerous. So anyway, I would try and have them outside at least six hours and in the nice weather longer than that, which is a pretty good. You know, a lot yes. of horses on the planet, they don't have six hours of turnout. If, you know, a lot of places they have two hours and that's really good. Some places there's no turnout, but anyway. So, and I remember there were also some discussions about the fact that there's always a risk if you have a very expensive horses and we had a few of those that they could hurt themselves in the paddock. And that's true, they can. But, you know, for me to preserve the health, the mental health of the horses, it was a risk I was willing to take. And we did have one horse that hurt himself in his paddock. He was a beautiful horse. I never understood how it happened. I spent hours and hours looking in that paddock. What had happened to this horse? I never found it. And so it's true, there is a risk. So if you have a very, very expensive horse, do you let it out or not? But later, much later, 
as years went by, um, I, I had some cameras in my, in my barn. I was a little bit intense at that time. You know, I really wanted all of the horses to be healthy and have the very best. And so I was, yeah, I guess intense is the word. So I had cameras, cameras in the boxes and, and I, and I wanted to look at Woody too, because you know, my, my own little horse, he had some digestive problem. It was very chronic. And so I wanted to understand what I could do in terms of the management to help him out. And so I would spend hours looking at him during the night, fast forward, of course, but I wanted to see, and, and if ever I had a horse that had, you know, mild colic, right? I had three cameras and the cameras were mobile and we could put them in front of the horses who was not feeling very well. And that also was good for us and the staff because when it's February and there's a lot of snow and it's very cold and you want to monitor the horse that you walked all day and you did all the things you need to do if ever there's a, a colic, well, at night, you don't have to go in the barn. You can just look on your phone at the camera and you can see if the horse is peaceful or not peaceful. And you only go if there's a need for you to go. And also, you don't wake up everybody. You don't create create stress in the barn by opening the hours at three in the morning. So, so I was very, you know, I really thought the cameras were a good thing. And I had like one screen uh, in my office just to check the horses. And so I would spend a lot of time always having my eye on that screen. And so I looked at the horses at night a lot, you know, and it was very interesting because you know how we say they're grazing animals and they should have ad lib hay. And even if you put a lot of hay, you know, for a lot of us, by the time it's about 11 o'clock, there's very often no more hay left. Mm-hmm. And you can see that like three, four hours later, they start to not be comfortable in their box. They need, they, you can feel that they need the food and they, they're getting more. Um, that was my impression anyway, that they were getting, they needed the food soon. But anyway, all this to say that looking at them during the night, I realized that, yeah, they're out six hours a day, but there's another 18 hours where they are in their boxes and let's say they're being worked a little bit throughout the day and you know there's a little bit of other activities going on so maybe there's another two hours used for showers and being braided or whatever else and I'm talking about the retired horse here not the ones that are doing the show uh, actually on stage so I'm talking about the farm where the horses were um being retired or on vacation so but there's still a lot of time spent in that box you know and and so over the years nowadays my horses are they have their box inside but they and they have great shelters outside and they have a winter paddock and a summer paddock and we can talk about that later but nowadays, my horses, who are retired horses, like I said, I don't, I don't ride them anymore. They spend almost all their time outside throughout the year. And last year was a pretty mild winter. They came inside three times, only three times. And the rest of the time, 
they were outside with their shelter with lots of hay and all that. And so I've kind of come full circle where, you know, I remember those little Lusitano from south of France that had very, not very adequate um, um, coats oh, yeah. versus my horses now who have, you know, big coats and they can really take the winter. And if it, and I also, because there's, you know, blankets, the whole discussion about blankets, do you blanket, not blanket. I do put blankets in the winter and I have lots of blankets because, you know, the winter is now, you have the rain one day and so they're wet and tomorrow is going to be very cold, cold and you don't want to put the winter blanket over a wet horse. And right. so you have to have all these strategies to make sure that by the time you put the winter coat on that, it, the horses is not wet, but um, yeah. So they, now they, my horses are basically outdoor horses that come in only when it's really cold or if the footing is really dangerous that they could slip and, you know, break a leg. But other than that, and I, I feel good about it, you know, I, I'm, and, and they won't get frostbite because if it's that cold, they're coming in. But uh, yeah, so that's, for me, that's been a big, big change. And it took many years to get to where I am today. What about you in terms of indoor keeping? Before we jump to what some of the changes for me, I think it's just really important to hear that, that our ideas can change. Oh, my God. Yeah. You should see, you know, fly masks. I used to put fly masks on all of my horses. Because we had so many horses, you know, I, I wrote a lot of my instructions for the staff. And when the horses came in, they were people took the fly masks out. They were they were had to rinse the fly mask because when the horses roll, there's a bit of dirt in the fly mask. And so they would clean the fly mask, put them up to dry so that the next morning when we would take the horses out, the fly mask would be clean and dry. And so for many years, I put fly masks on all my horses and I had all these kinds of different fly masks because some of the horses, like my Bonanza, he's got these big eyes. He's like a, you know, a fish with the big eyes. <laughs> I don't know what's, how you name those fish in English. The red fish, they have the big eyes. Bonanza's got big eyes. So I would find some fly masks with a lot of space for the eye. And then there were fly masks that stayed on the horse's head because you don't want the fly mask that's turning around and the horse has half of the fly mask over their eye, especially if you leave them outside in the summer, you want to make sure it's safe. And, and so very often we would take the fly masks out in the summer. I mean, at, at uh, what's, what's the word for at the end of the day when the sun, um, at dusk, sun, at, at dusk. Yes. Okay. In and we evening. would put in the evening, and we would put the fly mask back uh, in the morning anyway. The, the flies were worse during the hot, sunny hours. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, it was, I, I didn't want to risk uh, having a horse have a, a not well-adjusted, un, unmonitored fly mask. So fly masks were put only when the staff was able to monitor the horses. And uh, the horses outside, we went there about three, four times a day to, to feed. And so, you know, the, no horse would have a fly mask, not well adjusted for a very long time. But still, 
You know, I was getting a lot of uh, conjunctivite. How do you say that in English? You know, conjunctivitis. Right. And so we would treat the conjunctivitis. And, and at a certain point, I decided to try to take off the fly mask, do one summer with no fly mask. And I had no conjunctivis that summer. And huh. since then, for my own horse now, I don't do fly masks anymore. And I haven't had to treat one eye. So I'm not saying I'm not advocating for people not to put the fly mask. I'm just right. sharing my experience. And you no, know, because I think sometimes they roll, there's dirt, and now they're scratching their fly mask over their eye. And so that's yeah. why you get the conjunct. Conjunctivitis. Con no. I'll say it in French, okay? Like yeah. and, and what happens, you know, because the, the conjunctivitis, it can be pretty easy to treat. You just put the the um, the ongan, the, the, the pomade. The ointment. Yeah. The ointment, the ointment in the eye. But if there's an ulcer there, whoa, that's a whole other ball game yes. because now the medication you put in the eye, it makes the pupil very large. And so if you don't want to burn the retin, is that a word in English? Yeah, the retina. The retina uh, uh, in, in, the, in the eye, you have to make sure that the horse is not uh, exposed to, to light. And so now your barn has to be very dark. So it's a lot of uh, trouble and problem if you yes. want to treat it uh, well. And so, yeah, so I decided not to do the fly mask. I've had, I'm touching wood. I'm not saying it will never happen, but it has very much decreased the number of conjunctivite that I've had to treat in my own horse. So fly mask, I've completely changed my, and I tried diff, other kinds, you know, the, like the kind the, with the, um, the little, yeah, the frills, that the come little, down over their eyes. the frills. Yeah. yeah I yeah, tried yeah. that. Um, so I tried, but basically now I'm not, I'm not doing fly masks anymore. And I used to be pretty adamant about fly masks when I started, I had all these kinds and numerous fly masks. Yeah. So I think we do change. Yeah. We can change our ideas, you know, and, and in the horse world, you always hear everything and it's opposite. Yes. All the time. Yes. Whatever yes. you, you start reading and then you read this. Should I blanket, not blanket, fly mask, not fly mask? Should I do, should I bring them inside or leave them outside? So yeah. there's a point where you read everything and then you try different things and you have to make up your own mind. Yes. Yes. Because someone else will be, I'm sure people are hearing me talk right now and some people are saying, what? You know, so you hear one thing and it's opposite. And so you have to make up your own mind and you do the best you can for your horses. You do try and gather information. You know, I've always tried to be a very responsible owner and I'm a very curious person. So I try to read a lot, but you have to decide. There's a point where you have, and that may change over time. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to test it. Yeah, you test it. And like you always say, Alex, go to people for opinion and go to horses for answers. That's right. So what, what about you? What has changed? What, what things did you use to do that you no longer do? Well, knowing that this topic was, was going to be what we we're going to talk about, I was thinking about how do, we, how do we develop our ideas about how we should care for horses in the first place? And for so many of us, I mean, some, some people are lucky enough that they grew up in a family situation where they where there were horses. 
And so what their norm will be, will be however the horses were kept. And, and often mm -hmm. if the horses are at home, that means the horses were probably turned out um, most of the time. So they would have been out on pasture, on grass, basically 24 seven, maybe coming into a barn at night or during the winter. And that might've been their norm. For many other people, the norm, they will have started out in a lesson barn. And so in a lesson barn, it would be more, it would be a little more similar to what you were dealing with, with the Cavalia horses. And I'm always thinking we should probably say to people just a quick reminder of what Cavalia was because it's been a couple of years since. Yeah, it's been, a, yeah, it's, it's now, it, it doesn't exist anymore. So maybe some people don't know what it yeah. is. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a touring show, like a bit of Cirque du Soleil with horses. So there were two different shows. And uh, the retiring farm was uh, about an hour and a half from Montreal in a place called Sutton. Nice, nice little place um, in the countryside. Uh, and we had uh, probably every year about 60 horses retired there. And then, you know, the... Some were being trained also there uh, later. And um, yeah, what else is there to say about that show? I think the, that image of Cirque du Soleil, but with horses is a, mm -hmm. is a good one. So you, you, it was both horses and acrobats and mm -hmm. it was a, a beautifully, beautifully, very creatively staged. And you were always there looking out for the welfare of the horses. And I remember that, you know, one of the things that you stressed for the horses that were uh, for the performance horses, the, the horses that were uh, on show, that every location had to have a place for horses to be turned out. Yeah. Which made it more difficult to find locations. Yeah. So, I mean, where, whether we were in the middle of Berlin or, you know, but wherever we were, they, there were always paddocks for the horses to go out, relax, be with other horses and... Yeah, that was, uh, it, it made things very complicated. There were some great sites that we had to turn down uh, because they wouldn't allow for, you know, we had the stables and the big top and, uh, you know, the staff, um, uh, the, the, the production offices and all that. So it was the, like a big campus. Um, but if there was not enough room for the paddocks, we wouldn't, we would turn the site down. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I think we we spent a lot of money on uh, making sure the horses were comfortable. The traveling was amazing. How much money we spent on their traveling conditions, and you know the the staff, and um, so yeah, we tried. And for sure, you know, I had a lot of heated discussions sometimes. But um, I I guess because I came very late to the horse world, I was very critical of uh, you know. Um, I, I was like a five-year-old, right. I was like a five-year-old child. I questioned everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I was not desensitized at all to traditional training, to anything about horses, yeah. you know? So I always came from a place of challenging and because I was the owner of the company, I could, um, you know, we were both. Uh, I wasn't the only owner. I was a um, minority shareholder. So I wasn't the only one who had a say, but, you know, I was certainly part of the, the people who were making decisions. And so, 
I'm, you know, I think I really advocated for the horses and I, yes. um, I think and, in, and you, you didn't, you didn't just accept, well, that's just the way it's done. That's why we've oh, always no. done it. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> I didn't. And so sometimes I made, you know, it was, it was not always easy, you know, to have those conversations where you don't agree. Um, but, um, you know, as a team, we, uh, I think we did pretty good as a whole. And so anyway, eventually, um, I separated from, uh, I, I left the company. I went uh, to do other things. Life changes. Yeah. Yeah, life changes. And this is one of the other things that you moved into because, uh, you know, that this whole bringing more of this ethics that surrounds the choice to look at positive reinforcement training needs to be drawn more into the horse world. Yeah, and, and you and I did some fun work there because yes. with the retired horse, we yeah. really explored interesting things that could be done with the horses using positive reinforcement, distance work uh, that we did with the horses. Yeah. It was kind of fun. We At the end there, we were getting pretty creative. I think it could have been, yes. it would have been really interested if this had gone uh, on for more years, but life, life decided- yeah, yes. life decided yeah. otherwise, and so now we're doing it differently. Yes, and you know, I, yeah, I, I, I do miss those visits, but of course, with COVID, it would have been a bit of a challenge. Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, a lot of people, you know, borders. I mean, I don't know in in the states, but here the government was pretty, uh, it was pretty strict. You know, borders yeah. were not allowed to go and see their horses, and yes. it was that was a hard time. Yeah. You know, if you didn't have your own horse at home, it was hard. Yeah. If you were boarding, um, and of course, there was no more um, riding in the arena and none of that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was hard. So that's that's what Cavalier is. Yeah, at some point, we'll have to probably change our intro because <laughs> it'll be too, too long ago. <laughs> no, because that's always... Cause that was part of your horse formation. I can tell you it was a big crash course because I had a wonderful vet. You know, she spent so much time teaching me. And because, again, I'm a curious person, I kept sometimes I, I told her, you know, just charge me an hour because I would keep asking her about this and that. And, for, and because I had so many horses, I saw a lot of different things. I had horses from six months old to older, older horses. So over the years, I saw a lot of what can happen with horses. I, I had a great, great crash course on horses. Yeah. So this whole question of what, what are some of the ideas that I have changed? So I, you know, as yeah. I was saying, I think, you know, I was thinking about how do we learn how horses, I'm going to put it in quotes, the air quotes should be kept. And mm -hmm. when you are boarding a horse or you start out taking lessons, say you're a, a teenager and you're taking lessons at the local stable, well, what you see in terms of how the horses are managed becomes sort of your initial idea of how horses, in yeah. quotes, should be kept. And oftentimes when you're looking at some of these big lesson boarding barns, how horses are kept is absolutely for the convenience of the people. Mm, so you, know, you want the horses available 
so mm. that when somebody comes for a lesson, the horse is there. The horse mm-hmm. is not snoozing because he's been out on grass all night and has a belly full of grass and is taking a nap. No, he's got to go out and work. Mm. And you've got, uh, in order to make a living, maybe you have 50, 60, 70 horses, lesson horses plus sporting horses, and you don't have a lot of land. So the amount of turnout is maybe a, a, a fenced-in paddock that doesn't even have any grass that you rotate horses in and out of, and that becomes the norm. And I, I remember one stable that uh, I used to give some some lessons to a couple of the people who boarded there. They had invited me in to help them with their horses. And I was appalled. This was a stable that had a really good reputation as a lesson barn, but the horses were kept in the, it was a one of those old wooden, low ceiling, low ceiling, uh, uh, probably a dairy farm at one point had been converted for horses. It was dark, there's no windows, there's no airflow. And it was Mm. just kind of a depressing place. But I mean, the the stalls were kept clean. That was that was not a problem. But the horses were in during the day, so they would be available for the lessons. And then when they were turned out, they were sort of turned out unless the paddock gate was open and the horses, their stall doors would be open. And on their way out to the barn door, they would pass a big water trough. And every horse stopped to take a long drink at the water trough because that was their only water. They had no water in their stalls because it's extra work. And so, and and when I say I was appalled, I kept thinking, this is what all of these children are going to think is normal. Mm. That a horse having access to water once a day is acceptable. Oh my God. You see, yeah. you see when, when I had my horses, how intense I was, yes. they all had auto, automatic drinker, right? All of them. Yeah. But they also all had the, not one, two buckets of buckets. water. <laughs> yes. Because some of them preferred the buckets. In the winter, the automatic drinker's water temperature was too cold. Because the vet in the winter said you need to have lukewarm so that they don't decrease. They drink more. They drink yep. more. And some of them, they like to um, uh, take the hay and, uh, you know, dunk how it. they put it, dunk yep. it in they the water. Yep. You know, Pico loves to do that. And that's a very good thing. It's good that the hay is wet like that. And so, uh, and it, it I, would, I would say that at the time, most of them, if they had the choice, they preferred the buckets to the automatic yeah. drinker. Yeah, we put automatic waters in the in the barn, and Robin thinks they're disgusting. I don't think he is. <laughs> he, he he's ever touched it. He's ever. In fact, we've stopped using them. They they were just collecting dust. They were and they uh, a couple of them started to leak and all. So we've just turned them all off. But it's more work and it's yeah. heavy, you know, if so, unless you have the hose that goes all the way to the, to the bucket, which is, I think, the best way to do it. But if you have to carry those buckets, they're heavy. Yeah. But, you know, that's another difference. When you board, you can't do that. You can ask that, you know. So I had all these things when I had my own staff, my own place where I came to boarding situation. It was OK. You're going to have to start 
lowering criteria here a little bit because they're not going to keep you. They're going to kick no. you out. You know, if you ask for two buckets of water on top of the automatic, uh, what do you call it? Not drinker. The, um, the automatic water. Waterer. They're going to yeah. kick you out. That's in part where you, where for me, where I learned as a border to be a good citizen border. So in the mm. barn where we were forever, there were two barns on the property and the barn that my horses were in had seven stalls. And then there were some adjacent paddocks that where the horses stayed out all the time. But when I would get there in the evening, I didn't just check my horse's water buckets. I checked mm. all the water buckets in that barn. You know, mm -hmm. if, uh, and so you, you start doing that, you go that extra mile. Mm. So in part, your own horse can have the extra mile. Mm. But, you know, for me, I had a lot of extra miles. Yeah. <laughs> so I really had to kind of, and it's hard because you want the best for your horse. Yeah. You're worried about your horse, but you're thinking, okay, I have to relax here. I have to trust that people will do what's right for my horses. And so it's hard, you know, um, and I think I've, in that sense, you know, I have relaxed more uh, compared to what I was. I was, you know, always on the lookout when I had my Cavalia horses. And I have to say, you know, not a lot of stuff happened because I was always checking for everything, the safety of everything, even, you know, physically that nothing was, that, that they couldn't walk on anything that would be dangerous for them in the paddocks everywhere so now I've kind of you know I have had to let go a little bit because I couldn't be in a boarding now my horses even they're at a place where they're at a, a friend of mine and so it's a private barn it's not a boarding barn and so I can have much more individualized service than you would have in a 40 horse barn yeah. but still you know I I keep always talking to myself thinking yeah. you it's want to hard to friends you with, do want to remain yeah. friends and it's not as easy to find staff for a smaller barn because right. you know when at Cavalia we had lots and lots of staff but here you know I'm in the country it's a small barn and so if you want to keep your people you have to you know not stress them out yeah. and look at your make sure that your horses have what they need so it's a balance between the two and so some of the things that I used to ask I don't and I've learned from that too I've learned from that that I can be a little bit more relaxed than what I used to be you know yeah. there's it's not um some of the stuff I used to ask and was very adamant about I think maybe was a little bit there were good stuff. I mean, most of what I was asking came from the vet, you know, but I don't know. But it's hard, it's hard to say. I don't want to say that because I don't think I was wrong. I, it was a factor. Also, you had a lot of horses. So, yeah. The, so you have I to keep. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. You know, for instance, when, uh, you know, we would have all of their horse, all of their meal up there over their box. And, you know, there were times when I would ask that the employees write down how much was drinking by yeah. a specific horse over the course of a few weeks and how much manure there was so that because you can't keep track otherwise you know when you have even when you have one horses one horse you forget sometimes what happened four years or five years ago so 
I, I have very good records, like medical record for my horses. I write everything down, everything. Yeah. And I still do that. I do it myself. And, you know, I, I can see what happened 10 years ago, little things even, you know, in conjunctivit or whatever. Yes. Um, but then when you have 60 horses, there's no other way. If you don't write down, if you don't have the data, you, you, there's no way you can monitor all the horses and remember everything, the weekend, the week, the day, the, the night. So when you have a lot of horses, you have to be pretty well organized. When it's only your horse, two or three horses, you know, usually the meal will be uh, written in the place where you store the grain. You don't have to put it up on the horse's yeah. uh, box. But yeah, it's, it's it's a different thing when you have lots of horses. But also when you have them at your home, it's a different thing. Yes. When it's your yeah. place, you can do whatever you want. When it's not your place, you have to find the balance between good relationships, good management for your horse. There's a benefit you know, you have to calculate the ratio also of how much benefit for my horse compared to the work it it asks of people. You know, this right. this thing that takes them a lot of time, like uh, filling two bucket wat of water. What is the the benefit compared to having just an automatic waterer? You know. I, am I going to drive people crazy for something that is really crucial? Or is it a good thing to have, but it's it requires so much work that maybe I can let that go and it will be for a better atmosphere. People will be more relaxed and the horses most likely won't suffer from it. But so, and it's very, very personal and relative. Huh? Sometimes some things, yes. maybe for you, you will think there's no way I'm willing to let this go. Yeah, it's like blankets. So I don't blanket. Okay. Uh, and part of the reason for that is because donkeys years ago, when I was learning about a physiology, there was this concept of baseline metabolism. And baseline okay. metabolism is the temperature at which you can maintain homeostasis. You don't have to increase your metabolism either to cool off because it's hot or to work to stay warmer because it's, it's cold. And for us, our baseline metabolism sits in around the 70 degree, and I'm talking Fahrenheit, around the yeah. 70, you know, in the 70s, somewhere around, you know, 70, 75 degrees. That's where we are comfortable and we don't have to change our metabolism one way or the other. For horses, a healthy, I'm not talking, I'm not talking a, a sick horse, an aged horse, a severely underweight horse, but just a, your average healthy horse. Their baseline metabolism is 25 degrees. That's a huge difference. So at 25 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's, that's like, yeah, I don't uh, know how much. So 25 degrees, let me see if I can do the conversion. So 25 degrees Fahrenheit is, is what? roughly minus four Celsius. Oh, I would blanket at minus four, especially if they've grown coats. I wouldn't. They have a nice shelter. They're not, they're not exposed to the right. rain or the wind. Their baseline metabolism has not even begun to shift at 20, where we're feeling cold. So what I saw, yeah, what yeah, I yeah. saw early on in the big boarding barns is people would 
blankets on top of these horses. I know. So you'd have this poor yeah. horse who's standing in its box. Now, yes, he's standing. He's not walking around, so he doesn't have the opportunity to warm up through movement. But he's in this box, and he's got, some of them had three blankets on, none of which fit. So the blanket would be shifting mm. under this poor horse's belly. I can't tell you the number of times that I, you know, oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't leave this poor horse with this blanket hanging under his belly. So you'd be going in and, and adjusting mm. it for the for this horse. And and the blankets always stunk because they you know they were not washed regularly. And so these horses would be and in these blankets and there'd be the temperature fluctuations. So now the temperature has gone up and but the horse is still wearing three blankets. Mm. And you know yourself. Yeah, he's sweating underneath. Yeah, when you're uh, in the winter, when you're you you pile on the blankets at night, and then in the middle of the night you're kicking them off, and you're because you can't sleep because you're so yeah. hot. And yeah, it can be very and, uncomfortable. And these horses don't have that hot. option. And then the other thing that mm -hmm. I was uh, that I was thinking about as I'm looking at all of this is that people are putting all these blankets on because they've clipped their horses. So they've, they've body clipped the horse yeah. so that they can ride and, and the, and the horse mm. can, can be comfortable during the ride and they're not going to build up a great sweat and they don't have to spend as long walking the horse out. Well, it's not just, it's not just walking the horse. I mean, sometimes it can take, quite a few hours before the horse is yeah. really dry yeah. because if you put the wet horse outside well but the, these you horses know, were going sweat. back to their stalls and so I was I was looking at this and I was thinking I rarely I, I, you know, I was thinking how often do I actually when I'm working my horses do I work them into a sweat and if right, right. on the rare occasion that I did make my horse sweat. Well, I could see on that occasion walking the horse out and leaving him overnight with a blanket on because I'd made him sweat. But I was going to let my horses grow a winter coat. So a lot of these mm -hmm. other horses, the people would start to blanket in the early fall so that they didn't grow a full winter coat. And I looked at that and said, no, yeah. no, no, I want my horse to have a full winter coat. Because mm -hmm. the the horse's coat, the way through pilo erection, and we know about how the you know, the the hair traps the air and helps to insulate the horse. The horse is better right. able to regulate his body temperature with his natural coat mm -hmm. than he could with any yep. blanket that I can put on him. And so I wanted my horses to have their natural coat, and then. If they mm -hmm. were to get sweaty or if it got so cold that their natural coat was insufficient, I could always put a blanket on for the one or two nights in the winter that necessitated a blanket. But the rest of the time, mm -hmm. they didn't have to live in those uncomfortable yeah. blankets. Mm -hmm. And it, and if. You know, and if you choose the blanket, if when you choose the blanket too, even if you put it like for the two, three times when they need it, but you you have to make sure that you get a blanket that leaves room for their uh, yep, to legs move. to move properly because some blankets, they 
hinder yep. the yep, movements rub. of the legs and they can cause, especially if they're all, all winter uh, yep. blanketed, they can cause some problems. So, but it's a good example of things, you know, where you and I, we, we, you know, I'm sure there are things we yep. do differently where, and we're both, you know, philosophically, I think we're pretty yeah. close to one another and, and I'm sure there are yes. differences, you know, in the way we keep the horse and the fact that you have your own place now and I don't anymore. So we um, sort of flipped. But because so you used to, yes. And, yeah, yeah. It used to be the, the opposite. opposite. And, and so, you know, one of the things, you know, in terms of turn it. So, so the blanket. So I didn't blanket and I still don't blanket. Mm. I have blankets for all the horses. So I think that's important. Okay. So if something, if something happens, if, uh, you know, we're that necessitates a blanket. If I had a sick horse, you know, every horse has a blanket. And the other thing yeah. that I found also get with blankets before we move <clears throat> off of the blankets, what I found is that I can't remember the last time I worked one of my horses into a sweat. Sweat doesn't just mm. come from exertion. It comes from stress. Mm. Mm. And I think that's something that is worth, you know, sort of thinking about for a little bit. You know, I've seen horses that mm. the moment they walked into the arena, if you looked between their hind legs, they're sweating. There would be foam between their hind legs. That's stress. Mm. And mm -hmm. when you think about a horse that is being worked in a way where he doesn't really understand, where there's a lot of tension, tight, tense muscles that horse is going to be sweating before the horse that is working in relaxation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a, another piece, but you know, turnout, that's been an interesting one because as a boarder, my horses did not have enough turnout and that was really stressful for me. Mm -hmm. I had chosen a boarding place where I knew I could trust that my horses were well cared for. There would never be a time when they weren't fed and fed good quality food. You know, all the, no one was going to be yelling at them, beating them, you know, all of these things that I knew I could trust. Uh, and because I traveled, that was really important. But they didn't have enough turnout. Mm -hmm. And it meant that when I was in town, I was really dedicated about getting to the barn I did not schedule things during barn time. That was sacrosanct. You know, that's my horse's time. There's an hour after which I am just not available because I need to get to the barn and get my horses out because they don't. In a boarding situation where they're having to share uh, a scarce resource with uh, 50 other horses, they're not getting the turnout that I wish they could have, which is one of the reasons I wanted my own place. But it was, it's been really interesting <laughs> because... The farm where Peregrine was born, so um, I was at that time boarding with a family, and it was just, it was heaven. And if they hadn't decided that, that they needed to retire and uh, sell the farm and move um, south where, where he could play golf every day, uh, I would still be boarding there because it was just, it was mm. horse heaven. And it was a good place, and it, and it was small. So it, probably similar to the situation that you're in. But the horses always were brought in at night 
because Nancy was not comfortable, the owner of the property, having the horses out at night when she couldn't see what was going on and, and, and to make sure they right, were safe. Right. And so even in the summer, she brought them, she them in. Yeah. So it, but she was very much yeah. a kindred mm -hmm. spirit. You would have liked her immensely. And mm. but there are things like that that sort of form your... We want to control everything. Yes, yes, yes. because you know, they're, they're, we are... I often think about you know fear. We, there are times where... Oh, it comes from a place of fear. Yeah, because we can be afraid of our horses. But we also are afraid for our horses. And horses, there's yeah, so yeah. many ways in which, in which tragedies can happen. Yeah, I know somebody who used to live at this really beautiful, beautiful facility with her horses. But one night, her horse got out of the field that he was in and got out on the road and was killed. And so she, Ooh. her, she moved. Her family moved. And they moved to a, a farm that was, it was a long drive up the driveway. It had to be at least a half a mile out to the road. You know, you can see these things that, that cause us to make the choices that we make. I remember when I was looking for a place, there was this farm that was really close to the road and I never would, I, I couldn't yeah. consider it. You know, I went, I parked. And first of all, the noise was disturbing to me to either, to think that the pet because the paddocks were I always look at this place when I drive by. It's kind of nice. You see the horses. But when you go in the paddock and you think, "Ooh, my horse would be here. I was yeah. never I didn't even go into inquire yeah. because I thought oh, I'm not, I'm always going to be. That's afraid. right. That's right. You know, that something happens, a horse gets loose and he's right there. And this is a 70 kilometers per hour road. Yeah. And so there's no time. So you feel you have more time to catch up if there's a half a mile before you yeah. get to the road. You know, it's, it's, it's all so interesting because when we moved to the new barn, I turned the horses out really early in the morning, but I want them in by 10 because that's when the uh, sugars rise in the grass, so I'd like them to be in off the grass, and 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 that's normally not a problem because they bring themselves in because that's also when the flies start to to become more intense. So I don't actually have to bring them in. I just my job is just to close the gate. They're already in, saying, "Oh, we don't want to be out there." Oh yeah, I remember I did that for a long time in the summer. That's what I used to do. They would come in around lunchtime and stay in during yeah, the hot yeah. time. And then they would all go out till the next yeah. morning. And I always used to say, if I were a horse, that's the schedule yes. I would like yes. to be in. And when I boarded, the first place where I boarded, I asked them to do that for my horses during the summer. And they did, they were okay with yeah. it, they did. But later, later on, I decided to leave them out because in the next place where I went, it was not yeah. possible. And so I stick to, I've stuck to that, but. Yeah. Yeah. So you would let them in they they, or they would in. take themselves but in. I, but it was uh -huh. always the gate didn't open. Which is a great thing in your yes. bar. Yes. Because they have option. a lot of free choice. They can circulate yeah. as they want. Yeah. And that's like. And so dream. even when they're when the gate out to the pasture is closed, they still have the barnyard. They have the the, the stalls are just pass throughs and the, the aisle and the arena. So mm. they've got a lot of places that they can that they can 
hang out and move around. And it's always interesting to see where they choose to be. And they it changes with the season. It changes with the time of the day. Uh, it changes how they use the arena and so on. They sleep in the arena. That's what they, they like to do. Um, and so, uh, But mm. this year, this year I finally, I, I started opening the gate earlier and earlier. So I would open the mm. gate at, initially it would be, you know, I'm going to open the gate at 4 a.m., that sort of, and then it started to be 2 a.m. And then I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to open the gate. I'll, I'll open the gate at midnight. That, that, that I can deal with. Now, I open the gate the evening before. So I have finally, they've trained me. I'm finally opening the gate like 9, 10 o'clock. They can go out. And it's so interesting to, to see what they do because they'll, they go out for a little bit. They'll have their grazing bout. Then they come in. They'll nibble on the hay a little bit. They'll go into the arena. They lie down. They take a nap. They come back into the barn aisle. They'll nibble on grass. They'll wander outside. Um, so they're in and out through the mm. through through the night, and then usually around six a.m. they're they're back in and they're taking a nap. And if I'm out in the barn aisle, it's no, don't talk to us right now. We're 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 napping. <laughs> we're not going to pose. We're napping. <laughs> it's like great. I've got I've got barn chores to do. You, you keep napping, and then if I haven't closed the gate, then they'll go out again for a little bit, and then they're back in because they uh, that's their choice. But one of the things that you know I never use the we we do put a fly sheet on Fengor because he has sweet itch, but the other I don't put I've never put the fly masks or the fly sheets on them because I want the flies to drive them inside. Because then I don't have to okay. be the heavy who says, oh, you're getting too much grass. You're getting too, you know, you're becoming overweight. You're at risk of laminitis, whatever. They're choosing to come in. And so it's a great way to let the flies do the weight management for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's been this long cycle of saying I'm comfortable enough now that I can leave the gate open overnight even though I can't see where you are to see if you know to make sure you're okay yeah and you know this whole this whole equilibrium that you have now you if you brought in a new horse it would change yeah. everything because now you have a herd that's very stable. Well, we have a third horse in the but barn if... who does not get to participate in this. So we have separate but unequal. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't like it because it, she doesn't have the same high quality of life that the others have. But she does not have the, she does not have the social skills for her to be safe with the other horses. Okay. And mm -hmm. so it's, long saga but it's not worth the risk yeah so see that's something that i found it's never happened to me because in boarding situation i i would always say my three horses are a herd i want no horses coming into my herd so it's been stable for them it's been the three of them but you know i've seen places where the herd is constantly yeah. changing and that's really hard for the yeah. horses and, and, and also sometimes where the friendships are broken yes. and 
Boarding is is not easy. It's not easy for the people who own boarding facilities, and it's not easy for people who use the facilities. I think it's um. Well, first of all, it's a very, uh, it's not a business where you make a lot of money. Oh. Um, I think you can lose a lot of money. Um, the ones that I know who have been okay are the ones who give a lot of courses. That's how they can start making a decent living. But it's really tight. And, you know, it's hard to find staff. And so when we boarders, we start making all these demands. I know it's not, it's not easy for the owners. It's the, it's the allocation of scarce resources and the, this balancing act of if I give it to this, if I give it to this person who's, you know, and may very legitimately be asking for this extra for her horse because her horse has some special need. Maybe it's an older horse who needs mashes because the horse doesn't have the teeth left anymore to, yeah. but if I do that for this person, then this other person is going to want something and this other person is going to want something. Mm. And so, you know, I get it. I get how hard it is to board horses. And I get also how when I first moved the horses to the boarding barn where they were for a very long time, there were just 25 horses on the property. When I left, there were over 50. That changes. Mm. It's not, it's the, not same. the same. That mm. absolutely, because... No, because one person can probably do, you know, one or two person can probably do 20 horses, but 50 horses, you're starting to talk about staff now, you know, and it's complicated. Yeah, and you've got, instead of 25 horses sharing the turnout, you've doubled that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, there's okay. always, there's always some resource that's scarce, whether it's you know, everybody wants the arena at the same block of, you know, evening time, whatever. Oh, I know. Um, and so it's one of the things that you learn or don't learn, depending. And I learned a little bit and I didn't learn some other lessons. But people skills, because you've got to navigate as a boarder. You've got to navigate um, a, a community and and get along well enough that you still want to go out to the barn. Yeah. And, you know, for some of us, I mean, there are not like, it's not infinite, the number of places where you can board your horse. You know, I just called, I got a call not long ago from a woman. She has an old, uh, an old uh, mare, super nice old mare. And she's been looking everywhere to find a nice place and she's not finding it. You know, she's having a hard time find a place for her. So it's, so sometimes, I mean, maybe you have to make a few concessions, but at least you have a roof under your horse's head and someone to feed them Monday morning when you're working, yes. you know, or so, yeah. Oh. So I think that's when, uh, yeah, a book like Crucial Conversation can certainly help. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, what do I want? Yes. What is the really important thing I want for my horse? And uh, you can't aggravate people because eventually you'll be in the street and you'll have no place to go. That's right. Horse, That's right. So. That's right. Yeah. So it really does become important mm-hmm. that we learn these people skills because, yeah. you know, whether, whether we're talking to our vet, our farrier, our fellow boarders, the person who, who runs the boarding stable, you know, whatever it is, there are places where 
it's so easy. You need you need other you people. Need, you need other people. It even if you have your own place, like you said, all these people, you have your own place, but you still have to, you know, preserve those relationships. And if you want to have you've um, got neighbors, I don't know, you've, uh, uh, you've got to get along with your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Or or just your, you know, your friend who comes in and takes care of your horses when you're uh, away for the weekend. Yeah, visiting family or whatever it is. And and I'm sure they don't always do everything the same way you right. do. And what we found is, through this conversation, yeah. is that there are a lot of different ways and for doing things. There are a lot of different reasons why we make this choice versus that choice. Why one person chooses to blanket and the other person chooses not to. Why one person opens the gate at night and the other person is shutting the gate at night. You know, and... and what I've mm -hmm. learned from the horses is they are extremely adaptable and flexible, and there is no one right way to keep horses. We've learned a lot about the horse's digestive mm. system, so we know that you know we want to probably feed more frequently than perhaps some of those the boarding barns that I was looking at 30 years ago. And we know that, that having horses moving around, that that aids in good health, all of those things are important. But the horses can, they can adapt to a lot of conditions and they can be happy in those conditions. Mm -hmm. They can have a good quality of life in those conditions. And so this getting along with people becomes really important. And what's really interesting mm is that this con that our conversation today has brought us to this point because as you know we have this conversation mm. this how about this for a teaser i may not even have to do a closing end notes at the end of this podcast or maybe i should we should pretend we've played the music because as you know we've got a just fabulous fabulous conversation coming up with Dr. Susan Friedman and amazing conversation. amazing and uh the start yeah. of it is centered around crucial conversations what do you do when the stakes are high when emotions are are running really hot when you know the passions are rising and how do you how do you navigate through all of that and i know as a border there have been you know the stakes can't be much higher than the welfare of my horses. No, that's right. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. You know, that's when, you know, those, all of those skills, absolutely, you need to call on every one of them because when it's my horses, my family, my, you know, heart of my heart, that what matters to me is their welfare. Yeah. It would be so easy to let my emotions just boil over and then my and sometimes we do sometimes we yes, do and sometimes we do and then we regret it <laughs> yeah because you don't want to be in that position where the barn owner is saying you know we've had it we've had it goodbye mm. i tried we've tried work. it didn't work bye which is not what what we're going to be talking about with susan but it will be more general than that but it, what a fabulous conversation so I think we yeah. should stop on that wonderful teaser. Yeah. And and just That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We all yeah. we all need to learn how to talk to one another 
how to behave with one another. I mean, we're doing pretty good with our horses, but uh, we need to learn how to do it with each other. And that co that conversation coming yeah, up yeah, has a yeah. lot of Gemini. So we'll leave yeah. people with that to look forward to that. There's nothing left to add except to say, have fun with your horses. We'll meet up again next time with this fabulous conversation with Dr. Susan Friedman.